Thank you, Ben, for that ministry in music. The last encounter that we have with a loved one before they die is very important. I remember very well, like it was yesterday, the day that my mother died. It was a uh, Christmas night. She had been able to be with family. We were all able to gather, celebrate Christmas together. Uh, she was very, very tired and weak, and uh, we all went home. I got a call about uh, 9 o'clock at night saying that Mother wasn't doing well at all, and I rushed back and was with her, and she died about 10 o'clock at night. I remember that precious time. I remember being able to hold her. I remember being able to talk with her. I remember the words that she said to me and the words that I said to her. Those times are extremely precious. It can also be very difficult if there are times that are filled with regret. If there are things that we wish that we had said that we didn't. Or far worse, things that we did say that we wish we had not. Peter's last encounter with Jesus was a very painful one. Peter, out of fear for his own life, had denied his Lord. In fact, he denied him three times. In fact, he denied even to the point of taking the Lord's name in vain. Upon doing so, Jesus caught Peter's eye. Jesus looked at him. And Peter was painfully aware that Jesus had known all that he had done and all that he had said. Guilt, shame, and remorse flooded the eyes of Peter. We read the account in the book of Luke. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will deny, you will deny me three times. And he went outside. And he wept bitterly. Wept bitterly. What an agonizing grief and shame swept over Peter as Jesus was headed to be crucified. That was the last time that Peter saw his Lord before the resurrection. But now we move to happier times. Jesus now makes his second resurrection appearance to Peter. This time Peter's gone fishing along with six other of the disciples. Jesus is on the shore as the disciples are out in the sea. It is John that first recognizes Jesus. And John then informs Peter. And Peter is so excited to see Jesus that he can't wait for the boat to get to shore. So he just jumps into the sea and swims in order to be with Jesus. While on the shore, Jesus makes breakfast for the disciples and they fellowship together. Then Jesus and Peter have a long-awaited talk. It's that talk that we're going to focus upon this morning. Peter must have had many questions in his mind. Would Jesus forgive Peter? Would Jesus ever trust Peter again? Could it be useful for the kingdom's work? After all, 
whose denial of Jesus came after his conversion. Peter's denial of Jesus came after Jesus' repeated warnings to Peter. Peter's denial came even after Jesus exhorted Peter to pray and he failed to do so. And Peter's denial had been repeated three times. Could Jesus forgive him? Could Jesus use him? Well, we find out in our text that Jesus has some questions of his own. And the point of these questions ultimately is to renew Peter. To reestablish Jesus' call to Peter's life of ministry. Key verses are verses 19 and 22. If you look with me at John 21, 19. Now this he said, that is Jesus, signifying by what kind of death he, that is Peter, would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Verse 22. Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Jesus renews God's call to Peter to follow him. And so this morning we are going to look at the various aspects of what is included in this call to Peter to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We begin by looking at the motivation for following Jesus. The motivation for following Jesus is love for him. Look with me at verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yea, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Ten my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd, my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. There are some very subtle things going on in this text. They are subtle to us, but extremely powerful to Peter. While they may not be easily on our radar, they are inescapable to Peter. He would have picked up on them right away. <coughs> there are also some challenging exegetical questions in this particular portion of God's Word. And the way in which we interpret them is going to affect our uh, application tremendously. One of those questions that need to be asked up front is verse 15. What is Jesus referring to when he says to Peter, you love me more than these? Verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? So the first exegetical question is, to what or to whom is Jesus referring? What are the these in verse 15? Three answers. 
that are given. First, do you love me more than these fish? Do you love me more than fishing? Do you love me more than caring for yourself? Do you love me more than providing a good job opportunity for yourself? So all the applications then go around to, do you love me more than you love wealth? Do you love me more than you love personal fulfillment? Do you love me more than you love providing for yourself? If the these are fish. Second, do you love me more than you love your friends? Do you love me more than you love these disciples that are gathered around you? Am I more important to you than they are? Then the applications go around peer pressure and putting Jesus before we would put family and friends and, and all those kinds of applications. The third, which is the one that I side with this morning, is do you love me more than these disciples love me? Do you love me more than James and John love me? Do you love me more than Thomas loves me? Do you love me more than any of these other disciples love me? I believe, along with D.A. Carson and many other commentators, that this is precisely what Jesus is asking Peter. Whether or not Peter loves Jesus more than the other disciples love Jesus. Now stop for a moment. Because I think there would be a tendency to say, what an awful question. Why would Jesus ever ask such a thing? Why would Jesus invite Peter to compare himself to others? Why would Jesus put Peter on the spot in front of the other disciples? How would you like to be Peter? And Jesus says, do you love me more than these people love me? Well, first, I think, along with most commentators, <coughs> that there is a direct correlation between Peter's three denials of the Lord and the three times Jesus asked Peter whether Peter loves him. It is intended to be a restorative and redemptive process for Peter. Jesus is not seeking information when he asks these questions of Peter. He's seeking to bring Peter to a greater faith and understanding. The trifold denial of Jesus by Peter is replaced with a trifold assertion of Peter's love for Jesus. I think that is basically what's going on here. It is the restoration of Peter as a result of his three denials. That having been said, let's go back and see what Peter had said when Jesus informed Peter that Peter would deny the Lord. Turn with me, if you would, to, to Mark chapter 14. And keep your finger here because we're going to come back later. But Mark 14. Mark 14. When uh, it is predicted that Peter is going to deny the Lord. Mark 14, 29. Peter said to him, even though all may fail, fall away, yet I will not. I think that's the reason why he asked Peter, do you love me more than these disciples love me? Because he had confidently and 
rather arrogantly proclaimed that it didn't matter about what any of these other guys did. He was going to follow Jesus. And that his commitment was greater than the commitment of these other disciples. Verse 30, Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, that you yourself this very night, before a cock crows, twice shall three times deny me. You yourself. Verse 31, Peter kept saying insistently, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And these all were saying the same thing too. So he was not unique. But what is significant is Peter's confident declaration that he simply was not going to deny Jesus. And it didn't matter what anybody else did. He was going to remain faithful. Now that Peter had in fact denied the Lord, how does Peter view himself? How does he view himself in light of others? So Jesus is asking Peter, now that Peter has denied the Lord, now that he has proven himself to not be as strong and as powerful as he thinks he is, now he says to Peter, what do you think now? Do you love me more than these other disciples love me? It's to bring Peter down a few notches. I think that understanding provides us with some helpful interpretations of the text. First, it helps us to understand the Lord's addressing Peter as Simon. If you look at verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter. Now that's the, that's the writer's reference. That's John's reference. He refers to Simon as Peter. But in this entire account, Jesus never refers to Peter as Peter. It's always Simon. And there are some times in the Word of God that Simon is referred to as Simon Peter. But here, it's always Simon, son of John, which is what Simon Barjona means. That's uh, son of John. So notice verse 15. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Verse 16, Simon, son of John, do you love me, he said. Verse 17, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now that's significant. Because Jesus quit referring to Simon as Simon after that wonderful declaration that Simon made back in the book of Matthew chapter 16. In that section, it states... <coughs> now, when Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, They say, Thou art John the Baptist, or Elijah, one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And thou shalt be called Peter, for he is going to build his church upon this rock. Peter means rock. Peter proved to be anything other than a rock in that time of denial. 
And so here, Jesus refers to not Peter, the rock, but Simon, the son of Jonah. Simon, the son of John. It would have been powerful. It would have been striking. Secondly, it helps us to understand the importance of the word love in Jesus' question and Peter's response. Now, here we run into a difficulty because there is something in Greek that's not in English. And that is that there are throughout this passage two different words for love which is used. The one is agape, which we think of in terms of sacrificial love. (coughs) And then there's the word phileo, which we think of a brotherly love. Think of the city of phileo. That's a phileo Delphos. Delphos is brother. Phileo is love. So Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Okay. So there is agape, which is sacrificial love, and there is phileo, which is a brotherly love. The one is of greater depth than the other. The first exchange between Peter and Christ then becomes significant. Christ asks the question, verse 15, So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Agape. Do you have this sacrificial love for me more than the other disciples have? Are you really willing to die for me in a way in which these other disciples are not? If you have an NIV, it translates verse 15. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? That's the way the NIV tries to to distinguish between agape and phileo. It translates agape as truly loving. Do Do you truly love me? Peter's response is that he phileo loves Christ. Notice verse 15. You know that I, but now it's not agape, it's phileo. God says, you have this sacrificial love for me. Peter says, you know I have this brotherly commitment. Then, the next statement, our pages are sticking together, comes in verse 16. Jesus again says, do you agape me? He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you agape me? And I mean, do you truly love me? Peter's response is, I phileo you. Third exchange between Christ and Peter. Christ's third question of Peter is, do you phileo me? Do you love me? Peter's response is, yes, Lord, I phileo you. In verse 17. And we read in verse 17. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Again, an exegetical choice. Why was Peter grieved? Why was Peter grieved? Was it because Jesus had asked him this question three times and it reminded him of the betrayal? And so he's grieved as he makes the association? Well, that might be, and it certainly is in part. But I think it's greater than that. I think it's because of the change of the word that Jesus uses. 
He's grieved because the third time he says, do you follow me? Jesus is affirming Peter's restraint in proclaiming his love for Jesus. He's saying to, G- to Peter, Peter, you're getting it. Peter, you're not as strong as you think you are. You've learned your lesson through this. And you've learned it well. For notice what Peter says in uh, verse Seventeen. Verse seventeen, he says. Uh, he said to him a third time, "Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me?" Verse seventeen. Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, "Do you love me?" He said to him, "Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. You know all things." The first two answers are, "Lord, you know. Lord, you know." And this time, it's, Lord, you know all things. Now, why is that significant? Turn back. I hope you got your finger there to Mark chapter 14. Let's look at it. Mark 14, 29. But Peter said to him, that's Jesus, Even though all may fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that you yourself... You yourself, this very night, before a cock crows, shall deny me three times. But look at verse 31. But Peter kept insistently saying, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. NIV, but Peter insisted emphatically. King James, but he spoke the more vehemently. The more Jesus said, you are going to deny me, the more Peter said, I won't. You will. I won't. You will. I will not. He rejected the warning. He rejected the truth. He said, I will not. Now, when Jesus says, you phileo me, he's grieved. He says, yes, Lord. You know all things. You know my heart. You know I follow you. And he was grieved because his love for God wasn't what it ought to be. And up until the denial, he could never see that. He could never see his own perfection. He could never see his own weakness. He, he couldn't see his own restraint. But now, when Jesus looks at him and says, you love me more than these other disciples love me. He's not willing to go there. He's not willing to say that. He learned his lesson. So let's look at the mandate for following Jesus. Here the duty that is stressed is care for Jesus' sheep. To care for the sheep, young and old. Verse 15. He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. Verse 17. 
You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Lamb, sheep, young, old. To care for the sheep, the weak and the strong. To feed the sheep, to bind up the wounds. To shepherd the sheep with all that imagery entails. Verse 16. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, shepherd my sheep. And I be, take care of my sheep. Jesus used various words for sheep. He uses various words for tending and caring for them. And they all come under the, the auspices of shepherding. He is to do everything that a shepherd does in relationship to sheep. What does a shepherd do? A shepherd protects sheep. A shepherd feeds sheep. A shepherd uh, binds up the wounds and uh, cuts of sheep. A shepherd takes care of the sheep in the fullest sense of that word. He is called Peter to shepherd God's sheep. And he is called him to be an under-shepherd. For in each instance, in each of the three instances, he refers to them either as my lambs or my sheep. Peter, these are my sheep. These are my lambs. And I'm entrusting them to you. You're the under-shepherd. I'm the great shepherd. You're the under-shepherd. And you need to care for these sheep the way that I care for you. Now, Keep your finger here and turn with me to 1 Peter, chapter 5. First Peter, chapter 5. Peter writes, Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you. And so, now, elders are responsible and entrusted with shepherding God's flock. The word pastor is the word shepherd. Shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock. But that word is, uh, is accurately applied to all elders. All elders are to be shepherds of God's flock. Notice verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid grain, but with eagerness. Verse, five, verse 3. Nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be an example to the flock. Not lording it over them, proving to be examples. Peter was not to think of himself as more spiritual are more important than the flock that he oversaw. It's absolutely important that shepherds see themselves not as superiors, but as equals. That we recognize within ourselves the same weaknesses that we see in others. That we recognize our limitations. For it's going to have a profound impact on how we relate to those that we have to shepherd. And he's to be an example. And that example is to flow out of the relationship that he enjoys to God. He is to shepherd the way that the great shepherd shepherded him. 
He is to respond in like manner. He is to follow the cues of Jesus. This one who had forgiven Peter is now going to have to forgive others. The one who was patient with Peter, now Peter is going to have to be patient with others. It's important that Peter deals with other people the same way that Jesus dealt with him. Now, Jesus reveals what following him is going to entail. Jesus revealed to Peter what kind of death that Peter would die. Peter would die a martyr's death on the cross. Notice verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old and will stretch out your hands and someone will gird you and bring you where you do not want to go. Now this, he said, signifying what kind of death he would glorify God. John says he said this describing the kind of death that Peter would undergo. This stretching forth his hands is a depiction of the crucifixion. And Peter indeed dies a martyr's death. He dies by crucifixion. According to uh, church history, however, uh, he was crucified upside down because he said he did not, was not worthy to die in the same manner that his Lord was. And so he requested that he be crucified upside down. But he died a martyr's death. Why does Jesus reveal that to Peter? Why does he tell him that? Why does he say, Peter, you are going to die this martyr's death? Wouldn't Peter better, be better off by not knowing that? Why would he tell him ahead of time? Is it a warning? Or is it an encouragement? This Peter, who had proudly and gladly professed before the crucifixion, though everyone would deny you, I won't deny you. I am willing to die with you, he says. I am willing to die with you. He wasn't. He wasn't. He denied the Lord three times because he was afraid that he was going to die. He was afraid that he was going to be held accountable for Jesus. Peter, who had brought disgrace to himself and Jesus, would in fact bring glory to God through Peter's death. Look at verse 19. Now he said this, signifying what kind of death, and I think these are the key words, he would glorify God. He would glorify God. Jesus tells Peter ahead of time, Peter, I want you to know two things. One, I want you to know that you're going to die a martyr's death. And Peter, I want you to know that you're going to glorify me when you do. I think that was the best news that Peter ever got. Not that he was going to die a martyr's death. But he was going to glorify God when he did. Those denials were past. That weakness would be gone. The strength 
that he so proudly proclaimed. And now the weakness he feared would experience triumph for the grace and power of Jesus Christ, the resurrection, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. You're going to follow me. You're going to glorify me. Now Jesus renews his commission to Peter. Verse 21. Follow me. Follow me. The one who knows all things, the one who previously had promised, prophesied Peter's denial, now prophesies Peter's triumph. Peter, you're restored. Peter, follow me. Peter, get back on the saddle again. All is forgiven. All is right. Remember your weakness. Understand my strength and power. And that commitment you had is going to be brought to fruition. You're going to glorify me through your death. Application. Here's true and complete restoration. Restoration to service. Restoration to service. It isn't just that he is forgiven. He's entrusted again with responsibility and duties. Feed my sheep. Learn from your own experience. Learn from your own weakness. Learn from my forgiveness. Learn from my restoration. And go out and minister to others. That's what we're called to do. Share with others the grace of God that we ourselves have experienced. Share with others the patience that God has shown towards us. Be long-suffering with others. This restoration is better than new. I like cars. I like cars. And uh, I enjoy old cars that are restored. I have cable, and so I watch the Barrett Auto uh, sale. Now, some of you probably think, what in the world? That's what my wife thinks. Why in the world do you watch that? But uh, time and time again, they'll refer to cars that are restored better than new. Because the paint jobs on them are better than the paint jobs that came from the factory. More layers of, of paint, more lacquer, they shine more. They're more precise. These have been restored to a condition that's better than new. Peter is going to be restored to a condition that's better than new. Not only is he going to be allowed to serve, but now he's going to serve with a strength that he never had before. Because now he's going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now he's going to be able to stand. Now he's going to be able to triumph. He is going to be in a better place than what he was before. That's the great joy that we have in ministering to others. We can be better people tomorrow than we are today. The wonderful thing to be able to sit across the table and talk to a couple and be able to say to them, you know, your marriage not only can be back to where it was, it can be better. It can be better. Your life can not only go back to where it was, it can be better. It can be better. Whatever you've experienced, whatever sin you've committed, however disgraced you may be, or think that you have failed God in such a way that it is beyond repair. God can restore you. 
to better the new. To better the new. Jesus' death not only brought about forgiveness, it brought about power, especially through the Holy Spirit, who is going to enable Peter to do what he could not do on his own. He who had failed God in the past would serve God with a new vigoration and power. But notice, thirdly, a major obstacle to following Jesus, worrying about what others are to do. Peter looks around and wonders what John is to do. Look at verses 20 and 21. Peter turned around saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had leaned back on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, uh, who's the one who betrays you? Peter, therefore, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? What about, this? What about John? What's going to happen to him? I'm going to die this martyr's death. What are you going to require of him? Jesus' response is, what does it matter if I have something better or easier in store for him? What's that got to do with you? Verse 22. Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? Why should you care? What difference does it make? Remember before the crucifixion? Peter said, if everyone else fails you, I will follow you. Now, Peter says, well, what about this guy over here? What if I have to serve you alone? Before the crucifixion, he's there. After the crucifixion, he's saying, what if you're asking of me something you don't ask of somebody else? Again, Peter recognizing his weakness. Peter recognizing that the things that he talked about before were far above him. You know, many times, Christians that are young in their walk with God speak about a relationship with God that's a little beyond them. They don't even realize it. But they talk about a commitment that isn't as strong as they realize isn't as mature, isn't as deep. One of the things that happens as we mature in our faith is we get a little more humble because of what we've been through. And we understand that there are times that we have questions, there are times that we have doubts, there are times that we have issues, there are times that we have sins. And we walk with our head just a little less high. What's that got to do with you? What's that got to do with you? Thirdly, Peter is to follow the Lord regardless of what God has for others. Verse 22. She said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. You follow me. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Don't look around. Don't look around. Don't worry. Don't say to yourself, you know, I'm teaching Sunday school. What are all these other people doing? Don't worry about it. I mow the lawn. This other person's there sit, drinking iced tea somewhere. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about whether or not other people are being faithful to God. We need to follow Him. Keep our eyes focused on Him. John sets the record straight of what Jesus really said concerning this, verse 23. 
This saying therefore went out among the brethren that that disciple would not die. Referring to John. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only, if I want him to remain until I come, what's that to you? This is the disciple who bears witness of these things and who wrote these things. And we know that his witness is true. John said, this is about me. And Jesus never said I wouldn't die. Jesus said, if I don't want him to die, what's that got to do with you? But, you know, there's so many interesting things going on here. Obviously, the other disciples heard this conversation. And it shows where the other disciples went. They went to the sensationalism of this. They went to, did you hear that? John's never going to die. Not that, did you hear that? Peter's going to die and glorify God. They were much more awed at the thought that John would never die than being awed by the fact that Peter was going to glorify God in his death. They wanted to focus on the sensational, not the sacrificial. I don't think much has changed down through the ages. I think the church still wants to focus much more on the sensational than the sacrificial. We want to talk a lot more about the miracle of deliverance than the miracle of glorifying God. But we can have great confidence today. Great confidence. Because of the grace and power of Jesus Christ. Not because of who we are. Not because of our weakness. But because of the Holy Spirit. Because of the death and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can have great confidence. That when we are going to be placed in a terrifying situation. That we're going to be able to stand. And attest to our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that that thought of the possibility of being a martyr scares you to death. Because quite frankly, it scares me to death. I often wonder, what would I do if all of a sudden it became illegal to preach? Would I keep preaching? What would I do if all of a sudden it may cost me my life? I have to tell you, I'm a weak person. You know? I think I'd crumble. But I also think that God would give me the grace and God would give me the power and God would give me the fortitude to name the name of Christ. Not because I'm super spiritual and not because I'm strong but because he's strong and he gives grace. And that's the great message of this passage. Our God restores. Our God restores to a place that's better than new. God gives us grace and strength that supersedes our strength. Paul said, when we are weak, then we are made strong. Glory in your weakness so that you can glory in Christ's strength. 
Learn from your past failures. Learn from your sinfulness. Learn from the times that, that you were less than proud of the way that you've lived your Christian faith. Confess it. Ask the Lord for forgiveness. And believe that He can do a mighty work in your life. He can change you. He can give you victory to His honor and His glory. Let's pray. Our Father, give us grace this day. Help us to understand our own weakness. May we humbly acknowledge that our love for you is not perfect. You have told us we are to love you with all our heart, all our soul, and all our strength. And Lord, we just don't. But we ask that we might love you more. We ask that you'd bring us to a greater degree of love for you and for our fellow man. That you would give us a greater boldness in the areas of our fears. You'd give us greater confidence in areas where we have none. And that confidence would not rest in us, but in you. Lord, thank you for the ways that you have restored us. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you have forgiven our sins. And you allow us to continue to serve. Thank you that many of us could have been removed for a variety of reasons. But yet, Lord, you have seen fit to allow us to continue to serve. Lord, may we be gracious in that service. May we understand other people's weaknesses out of understanding our own. May we not be quick to judge, but quick to forgive. Quick to encourage. Quick to restore. Quick to entrust. Quick to equip. To the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus. Help us to be good shepherds in the lives of others. Learning from you, the chief shepherd. Shepherding others the way that you shepherd us. Thank you that you are so gracious, so kind, so patient, and loving and dealing with us. Help us to be that in the lives of others. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.